And then with that, we take a more serious turn to a power-packed verse today. Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. Boy, is it loaded. In fact, it's so loaded that guess what? In a few weeks, we're going to get to verses 14 and 15, and it's going to reiterate what's already there. And, and some people will go, well, why are you going to preach on that if you just preach on it? Because it's in the Bible, and it's what's coming. It's what's coming. We, we, we don't just skip it, so we'll have a different take on that. But today, we're going to look at this idea. Hey, Jesus modeled for us, pray like this. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So turn to Matthew 6. 12, if you would. Well, the whole town had gathered in the courthouse for the trial. It tells you how big the town was. And the prosecuting attorney called his first witness an elderly woman, and he asked, Mrs. Jones, do you know me? She responded, why, yes, I do know you, Mr. Williams. I've known you since you were a young boy. And frankly, you've been a big disappointment to me. Oh, it gets better. You lie, you cheat, you manipulate people, you talk about them behind their backs. You know, you think you're a rising big shot, but you are not. Yes, I know you. The prosecuting attorney was stunned. He didn't know what to do. And all he could think to do was point across the room at the defense attorney and say, Do you know him? She replied, Why, of course I do. I've known Mr. Bradley since he was a youngster. Yeah, I used to babysit him. And he, too, has been a real disappointment to me. He's lazy, prejudiced, and has a drinking problem. He can't maintain relationships with anyone. And his law practice is one of the shoddiest in the entire state. Yes, I know him. Well, the courtroom was going at that point. So the judge, trying to get some order, a semblance of order again, was wrapping the gavel. And he called the two counselors forward to the judge's bench. And in a very quiet yet stern voice, he said, If either of you ask her if she knows me, I'll hold you both in contempt of court. <laughs> That's funny. Yet it's also poignant. You know why? God knows us. God knows you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and God knows me. He knows what we think, even if no one else does. He knows what is going on in our hearts. He knows about our sinfulness. This is why we are to seek his forgiveness. In fact, this is why we must seek his forgiveness. And looking at the model prayer, we discover that we're also to model forgiveness to others. Let's look at the Lord's Prayer, starting in verse 9. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Here's verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, help us to hear from your word today. It's one verse, but you stand ready and willing to speak into our hearts. I pray we will 
listen. I pray we will be open. Thank you, God, for the opportunity just to spend time with you today in worship. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Two big points today. The first one, you probably gathered it if you've looked at the compass, the bulletin, is this. Number one, forgiven. Let me start with the true-false quiz. We're going to have a quiz today. Are you ready? You get one shot. There's only one. It's just one. This is not ten, all right? I know it's a pop quiz. Here it is. True or false, we need to be forgiven. I heard true over here. Anybody else? True? Yeah, of course it is. Wasn't that easy? Most of you got a hundred on that one. At the beginning of this verse we're looking at today, God deals with our ultimate problem. Here's our ultimate problem. You, know, you want to know what the ultimate problem in the world is? It has nothing to do with your favorite politician or your favorite financial institute or whether you follow NASDAQ more than S&P 500. We can talk about that if you want. It has nothing to do with all that stuff or what street you live on. The ultimate problem that we have, that our world has, is simply this, our sinfulness. And that's not preached enough. That's not taught enough in Bible studies anymore. It's not that we're a Debbie Downer or a negative person. It's just truth. Sin is a problem. So let us acknowledge today, if we get anything from this verse, let us acknowledge that we need to be forgiven. We need to be forgiven. Look at the person next to you. If you're married to that person, you don't even need to say the words. But if you're not, say, I need to be forgiven. Go ahead and do it, all right? Yeah, some of you are like, good thing my spouse wasn't here today, or my kids, or whatever, all right? Listen, we need to be forgiven, but some people do not acknowledge that. Listen to that great English preacher, Charles Spurgeon. He had a rebuttal for the person who would not acknowledge his or her sin. Dear one, look at your own heart. I will have no argument with you. Take the bandage off your eyes. You're a, you're are about, you are about as full of sin as an egg is full of protein. Among the rest of your many sins is this rotten egg of a, a cursed pride about your own state of heart. That's pretty good. He said it, not me, by the way. Okay, I just was quoting that. Pretty straightforward, isn't it? So is this, Romans, the book of Romans 3.23. For all have sinned. We don't need to go any farther. It's just one phrase. Pretty straightforward. You see, here we see in uh, the model prayer, Matthew 6, the idea of a debt, offenses towards God. In Luke 11, that parallels it, we see the word translated as sin. Are you getting the picture? It's sin against God. Therefore, the debt that we have, if it's sin against God, okay, this is not sin against you or you or you or someone in my family, okay, sin against God. If that is the debt, then guess what? Only God can forgive. Only God can send that debt away. Now, you may have someone come in and, and, and praise the Lord if it happened, pays off the rest of your mortgage. Or maybe you have something else going on, and they take care of it, or they pay for that. That is great, but this debt only God can send away. Only God can forgive. The word forgive is an interesting word. Aphiame, 
It means to send away. That's what it means. I don't know about you, but I'm very thankful for something this Thanksgiving season. I am thankful that God, that He is the God who forgives. He is the God who forgives. He doesn't have to forgive. He chooses to forgive. It's his nature. We know about his grace and mercy, his loving kindness over and over and over. And listen, I'm going to tell you something today. If you don't know my God, the God of the Bible, that's okay. I hope you will know him soon. But he is the God who forgives. There's nothing that you could have done in your life, in your past, that he cannot forgive. I got an amen right here. I should have gotten more than that. Think about that for a minute. We could stand up, couldn't we, church? Person after person could come up and say, I cannot believe that I did this, and yet he has forgiven me. I cannot believe that this has happened, yet he has forgiven. We could go on and on and on, but let's keep moving forward. But I want you to think about that today. He's the God who forgives. Notice the importance of this petition in verse 12. I've mentioned it already that forgiveness of our sins by God is our most important need. But notice also the reality from this petition. It's the word confessing. You see, confessing this need acknowledges that we are sinful. And that is humbling. So I'm going to spend some time today on this question. What is sin? You heard about sin? Ever heard about sin? In fact, you can't be saved if you don't understand sin. Would you agree with that? If you can't, you know, think about a little child. If they, if they can't define that, acknowledge that, and explain that, then they're not ready to receive salvation. So what is sin? I'm going to give you five different words used to describe and define sin in the New Testament. The first one, number one, I think those are in your sermon notes, is hamartia. It's the most common word. We find it in 151 verses according to the guys and gals that have the time to actually do that, all right? Okay, so some of y'all I know this week will look and see. Have fun looking at that, all right? 151 verses. It's originally a shooting term. This is going to make sense to you. It's, it means a missing of the target. So think about shooting, a missing of the target. That's what this word for sin means. Therefore, sin is the failure to be what we might have been or could have been. God wanted so much for us, but we continually sin. We miss the target. Maybe you say miss the mark. You see, sin misses the mark of God's righteousness. It's a special target. It's not our target. It's God's target. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's his target. It's his righteousness. We miss it. Well, how does that happen? Well, we tend to take our eyes off the Lord, don't we? And we put them on other things. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 states it this way. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death spread to all men, we could say mankind, because all sinned. Missed the target. So let us seek forgiveness today. Let us follow the example of the Apostle Paul. He wrote this to Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. That sounds a little bit more like hitting the mark, doesn't it? The target. 
did not. There's a second word for sin found in seven verses. It is parabasis, which literally means a stepping across. So forget shooting and missing the mark, the target. Now think of stepping across. This sin is more conscious, think about it, and intentional. It it is stepping across. It is commonly translated transgression. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14 says this, And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. There's the word. The idea of sin stepping across the line. You see, there's a line that God has drawn between right and wrong. So sin is stepping across that line. It also can be translated this way. It is going out of bounds. Anybody ever played games before? Anybody? Anybody ever played? Okay. I hear a cricket in here. That must be someone's phone. Maybe it's in the tree. No. Sorry. I chase squirrels. I apologize. But who's ever phone it was, you know, turn it off, please. In the name of Jesus, turn off the phone. No. It's the idea of going out of bounds. All right. By the way, if you're keeping score, don't expect that I'm just going to lay down and roll over, right? This happens every time when we get together with family. We're playing. Don't keep score unless you don't want it to be competitive. Anybody competitive in here besides me? This has nothing to do with debts, I don't think. Yes. Okay. You people that aren't competitive, that's great. Don't badmouth us because we're competitive. Quit keeping score. Even though I lose at golf all the time to Sam and the other guys, guess what? I'm still keeping score and trying. Yes. Okay. Out of bounds. Here's the thing I want you to get. If you've been in a ball game, what happens when a person, a player goes out of bounds? You're either penalized or the play ceases. When you go out of bounds, watch some football today, you will see that happen. The same is true of sin. Transgression. We have transgressed. We are on the wrong side of God's dividing line, and we need forgiveness. Do you see the picture? Number three. Here's the third word. Peroptima. I don't speak Greek very well, sorry. Twenty verses in the New Testament. This one means it's not the stepping across, but to slip across or fall. We're going to get to this word in a few weeks more. When we deal with verses 14 and 15, I'm going to spend more time on that. In, in my translation that I like to read, it's translated wrongdoing. Wrongdoing. Okay? Galatians 6, verse 1. Brothers, if someone is caught in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual should restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so you also won't be tempted. This is the kind of slip or fall which a person might make. Here's the picture. Being on an icy road. You didn't intend to slide, did you? But it happened. It happened. Okay? You weren't paying attention well enough. You're going a little too fast. Whatever it might be. Okay? So picture that icy road. It's not so deliberate as the previous word that we just looked at. It results more from carelessness than from intentional disobedience. But yet it's sin. If not careful, we are swept away. We can be swept away by impulse. We can be swept away by passion. We can be swept away by a lack of self-control. This can happen to any of us. We need forgiveness. Have you noticed on each one of these we need forgiveness? 
All these happen to us. Number four, anomia. It means lawlessness. It's found in 13 verses in the New Testament. Towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount that we'll eventually get to, Matthew 7, verse 23 says this, the scariest, perhaps, verse in all of the Bible. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. In the ESV translation, it says this, you workers of lawlessness. That's the word. This is the person who knows the right, but does the wrong. Did the Apostle Paul have trouble with this sin? He sure did. He wrote that for us. He said, man, I don't know why I don't do the things I'm supposed to do, and the things I'm not supposed to do, I'm doing. So it's a person who knows the right, but does the wrong. It's, more, it's a more intentional and flagrant sin. Think about it. You know, but you choose not to do what you should do, or not do what you should not do. Think this way of this, this uh, word. It's direct open rebellion against God and his ways. It's the attitude that says, and maybe you've thought this in your heart before I have, let's be real, there's that cricket again. I'm sorry. All right. I'm going to call security in. Where is it? Here they? No. It's more intentional. It's, it's the idea this is it. Hey, I'm doing what I want to do, whether you like it or not. We need a serving of forgiveness. Amen? And the fifth word is aphilema. That's the word we find in this verse. We're looking at verse 12. It only occurs in one other verse. And it shatters the idea of perfection, in case you had that idea. We know 1 John 1, 9, don't we? But let's look at 1 John 1, 8, the verse that precedes it. It says this, If we say we have no sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Hmm. You see, we have a debt we owe that only Jesus can pay. We need forgiveness. Word after word. Forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness. That is what we need. Well, I've got some encouraging words for you. God is faithful to forgive us. Now, we're going to camp on this in a couple weeks, but let me just briefly say this. I'm going to do it in one verse, 1 John 1, 9. God is faithful to forgive us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from how much unrighteousness? All unrighteousness. So let's think about that. That's point number one. Here's point number two. Point number one is forgiven. Point number two, you've got a line there to fill in. It's simply this, forgive. It's one word. Forgive. Forgive. So immediately the question I ask, and maybe you would ask, is how? You're thinking about something that involves forgiving someone or something. How can I do this? How can I forgive? God, how can I deal with this and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors? You don't know, God, well, who my debtors are. How can I do this? How can I forgive? Let me tell you, church, here's the key. It can only happen when we are merciful. That's the only way it can happen. It's not intellectual assent. It's not some 8, 10, 12, 20 steps you're going to go through. It's it's being merciful. Who models mercy for us? God. 
Do you remember the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, the best sermon ever when we started? Do you remember those Beatitudes? Think about the progression for a minute and think about being merciful. First of all, we were confronted with what? That we're poor in spirit. Do you remember that? We're poor in spirit. That means spiritual poverty, not financial poverty. What does that mean? There's no hope of our own. There's no claim of our own. There's no righteousness of our own. We are poor in spirit. And that leads to us mourning. Specifically and primarily, we're mourning over our sin condition. And when that happens effectively and correctly, true repentance can come into our life. Do you remember that? And then we move on to meekness. We talked about that. Do you remember? Meekness we defined as being strength under God's control. Not strength under control. That's me. Put a thumb on it. But strength under God's control. And that leads to develop a hunger. It leads to new appetites in the person who is walking with the Lord and following the Lord. And it's that interesting phrase we looked at. As one hungers, do you remember that? Hungers and thirsts for all of God's righteousness, he or she develops what's next in the progression? Mercy. There it is. Do you see what has to happen to get to mercy? And I just want to tell you, you cannot, there are certain instances where you cannot forgive on your own. You have to have that progression go through in your life and you have to become merciful. Now this is tough. You know why this is tough? Do you know why this subject is tough? Tough because people do a bunch of evil things toward us. Amen? Have you noticed? Just look at the news for five minutes. I can't believe I almost had my Thanksgiving ruined because I looked at the news and the instances of domestic violence that happened this weekend right in our city. Maybe you saw some of that. Pretty graphic. I won't go into details, but people do evil stuff to other people. Maybe that's happened to you. Let's go back in the Sermon on the Mountain. Look, go back to chapter 5, verse 11. Look at it. Some people spread rumors about us. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. So people spread rumors about us. Secondly, some people just like to slap us down. You ever been slapped down? I don't mean necessarily a little literal slap. Look at verse 39 of Matthew 5. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. Some people want to sue us. Look at verse 40. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. Some people want to force us to do things against our will. Verse 41. And whoever compels you to go one mile, do you remember? Go with him two. And finally in verse 44, some people want to use us and persecute us. But I say to you, these are the words of Jesus, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you. And, <laughs> come on, Jesus. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. It's tough. But guess what? Just because it's tough doesn't mean we get to take uh, verse 12 of chapter 6. 
out of our Bible. No, we must do this, and that's the next sub-point. You and I must forgive. We must forgive. Listen, it's not the price is right or whatever those shows are. There's no door number two. You don't get to pick. There's one door, and it's a door of forgiveness, and we are to forgive. We're going to speak about this some more in a few weeks, but let me share just something with you today. Just quickly, let me share what an unforgiving spirit can do to us and others, how it affects us. So don't tune me out. Some, some of you have probably tuned me out because you got a forgiveness issue and you don't want to deal with it. Don't tune me out right now. Please, listen. Get your pencil out and be ready to write a few things down. Number one, if we have an unforgiving spirit, it makes us like those whom we resent. In fact, we become like the very people that we are resenting. You see, anger arrives. And anger has a way of festering in us. Have you noticed that? If we're to follow God, we need to remove the unforgiving attitude and change our focus from sinners to the Savior. Are you hearing me? I'm not saying that didn't happen to you. I'm not saying that a crime even didn't occur. Yes, there should be punishment. But we've got to get our focus off of the sinners, of which we are one, to the Savior. We're going to become just like the person we don't want to forgive. Number two, this is for the fellows out there who are married. Unforgiving spirit damages our wife. Colossians 3.19. You know part of it, but maybe you missed one word in there. Husbands, love your wife. Amen? Go ahead and give her a kiss right now. Go ahead. It's okay. Husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter toward them. That's what the scripture says. That's the idea of having an unforgiving spirit. Letting something fester in you. We see the idea of bitterness as the picture in that verse is it's a poison. It infects. And I could say if you're not married, well, the unforgiving spirit, unforgiveness also applies to our other significant relationships. All of our relationships. Number three, an unforgiving spirit defiles the believer. Hebrews 12, 15. See to it. Isn't that an interesting phrase? That means get her done. Get her done. See to it that no one, no one, fails to obtain the grace of God. That no root of bitterness, you've heard that phrase, there it is. That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it, many become defiled. Listen, your unforgiving spirit, my unforgiving spirit, the lack of forgiveness just spews and splatters all over others. It defiles many. Perhaps your witness has been messed up. Your, your gospel witness has been messed up because of unforgiveness. I don't know. I don't read your mail, but I want you to think about that. Unforgiveness stains everyone involved. Number four. An unforgiving spirit blocks our love relationship with God. Some people get a little queasy when we talk about our love relationship with God. But isn't that what it is? Aren't we supposed to have a very intimate relationship with our Savior, with our Creator, with God's Spirit who convicts and counsels and lives within us? We are. Listen to 1 John 4, 20 through 21. You think about that unforgiveness in your heart. 1 John 4, 20 and 21. 
If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. And that's not just talk, that doesn't mean sibling. It means every Christian you come into contact with. Okay? If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. Oh, it gets better. For the person who does not love his brother, he has seen. I can see you. That person cannot love the God he has not seen. And we have this command from him. The one who loves God must also love his brother. Wow. You see, unforgiveness leads to hatred sometimes. And hatred blocks love. The old sage and Bible commentator from years gone by, J.C. Ryle, said it this way. This verse is to remind us that we must not expect our prayers for forgiveness to be heard if we pray with malice and spite in our hearts towards others. To pray in such a frame of mind is mere formality and hypocrisy. Now, let's be honest. Have we sometimes prayed kind of just a formality? Have you ever put it on autopilot? You've been praying? Come on. And then you want, and you go, what am I doing, Lord? I'm not even focusing. It's just something that I'm doing, okay? So he says, it's such a frame of mind. It's mere formality and hypocrisy. And then he goes on to say, it's even worse than hypocrisy. It is as much as saying, God, do not forgive me at all. Look at the verse again. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. If we're not willing to forgive, it's as if we're saying, God, just don't forgive me. And he goes on to say, our prayers are nothing without love. We must not expect to be forgiven if we cannot forgive. Wow, it's a tough pill to swallow. Now hear me, church. Those of you watching online, listen I don't know your story. Maybe I do. I know some of your stories. And it's amazing that you have been able to forgive that person, that situation. But I don't know everyone's story. Here's the deal, though. I don't have to know everyone's story. Guess who knows everyone's story? God, the Father, whose name is holy, right? The power and the glory belong to him. God knows. And God, through Matthew, wrote those words for us. God knows, and yet still, this is the command from him. So let's talk about it as we close. Let me ask you this. What confession do you need to make to the Lord? The verse starts off, and forgive us our debts. What confession do you need to make to the Lord? I want you to really think about that. I'm going to have a time of reflection and response in a moment. What confession do I need to make to you, God? And let me be a little more blunt. Who do you need to forgive? I didn't say whatever happened went away. I didn't say that that person couldn't still be a, a scoundrel. I'm not advocating that you must go on national TV and have an interview. What, do, is it, what is it, Dr. Paul? Is that his name? Uh, I knew what his name was. You guys watch that show. 
You don't have to go on Dr. Phil and have this dramatic forgiveness scene. In your heart, in your life, where God's Holy Spirit dwells, who do you need to forgive? Listen, I've been at this long enough to know I have encountered a number of people who have held on to unforgiveness for many, many years. I'm going to tell you something. I've struggled with this with my mom and the things that happened to me in my childhood. But what good am I if I cannot forgive? Just gives me freedom to move on. Have I forgiven? Yes. Do I still occasionally deal with that? Yes. Do any of you have good days and bad days? Yes. Does the evil one, Satan, pull it out and launch that unforgiveness or forgiving thing right at you? It happens to me, right? But listen, we must forgive. So I'm going to ask you again, who do you need to forgive? You've held on to that unforgiveness for many, many years. God is prepared to unleash you. Let me say it how Luke says it. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Do you remember one of those definitions? Missing the target? God wants to unleash us into ministry and into witness that we can't even comprehend. But it's not going to happen because we have unforgiveness in our heart. That's what's holding us back. The devil's like, oh man, I can't get him or her. They're saved. They have that relationship with God. They're going to be in heaven, not hell, someday in eternity. But boy, I can sure limit them. Do you want to be unleashed? It is time to forgive as God has forgiven us. And as I am known to say, none of this matters if you're not a believer, a follower of Christ. Does it matter? Does it matter? The greatest, the one thing that cannot be forgiven is the person who rejects God. And the fact that God has impacted them and God is drawing them and calling them through faith to what? To salvation, to life change, to transformation. We call it becoming a Christian. That's the one thing that some people need to do today. I want you to think about that this morning. I think everyone in this room is thinking about sin. I'm, hello, that's what we've been talking about today. Listen to Acts 4.12. These are not my words as a preacher, if you're doubting me. There is salvation in no one else. God has given, talking about Jesus, no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Do you want to turn from your life? Do you want to turn from your sin? Do you want to turn? You run to God. Jesus died on the cross. We celebrate Christmas, the little baby, right? The baby grew up and lived a perfect life. And people like us killed him, put him on a cross. He paid the price for the debt that we owe. And on the third day, what happened? Do you remember? He conquered sin and death and the devil and the grave, all that stuff, and he resurrected. 
He is our Savior, and He can be our Lord. There's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Jesus is ready to forgive you. And he makes it abundantly clear in John chapter 14 when he says to those, his, his inner circle of guys who are freaking out, they're trying to figure out, what is this, Jesus going to die? Are you going away? What's going to happen? They're freaking out, and he says, listen, it's simple. I, talking about Jesus, and the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me, but through me. You see, that's the answer for you today if you're not a Christian. Jesus is the answer. You can turn to him. That first act of forgiveness needs to be uh, repenting. Forgive me of my sins. Save me from them. Become my Lord. Mm. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and life. All he had to say was, I am. That's who he is. Period. Now, for those of us who have been saved, aren't you glad you've been saved? Aren't you glad you've been forgiven? I see that hand, those hands back there. Amen. If I'd have been God, guess what? Lamar would not have been forgiven. But that's not how God is. He forgives. So for those of you who have been forgiven, who are believers or Christ followers, I ask you again, who do you need to forgive? I did a little math, which is dangerous to do in this congregation. Don't we have someone working on a doctorate of mathematics? I think we do. Some of you scientists. I took two grandkids to the Atomic Museum. You know that one over on Eubank? Um, it got over their head a little bit. It got over my head a little bit, I'll be honest. All right. So it's dangerous to do math. But I did simple math. Counting today, we have 35 days left in 2022. Don't pull out your calendar and prove me wrong. I think that's correct. <laughs> Would you give me grace if I'm off? Here's the idea. I got 35 days. Let's get to work. Let's forgive. Let's make an impact. You know some of the great stories that I've heard? Christians have come to me and said, I finally forgave that person. And they turned their life to Jesus. Could happen. Could happen. We never know the impact. 35 days. Let's get to work. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for this power-packed prayer verse in Scripture, in the Sermon on the Mount. May we be impacted by it today. God, I confess to you those times when I've harbored unforgiveness in my heart. God, I thank you for getting to experience freedom that comes. In fact, God, we, we, there's a lot of things that we need to be forgiving every day. We live in this sinful world with sinners. We've got sinners right in our own homes. Help us to be forgivers. Yes, God, there's accountability. Amen. Yes, God, there should be life change. But God, we know that we cannot change people that you do that, but we can forgive. And God, I thank you for the ultimate example of forgiveness. When Jesus paid the price for our sin 
on the cross and conquered it when he rose on the third day. For those listening today and in this room, I pray they would really dig deep on what sin is and truly turn and run to you for salvation and repent and ask for forgiveness and receive new life that your Bible talks about. They would become a new creature, a new creation. The old will pass away and the new comes. God, we pray for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.